This podcast does not constitute medical advice. All changes surrounding medications, diet and exercise should be made in consultation with a professional who can assess your unique health circumstances. Welcome to the Patterson Program, where you'll learn how to improve your health from the inside out. And now, your host, Clint Patterson. G'day, it's Clint Patterson here, just about to share with you the interview that I did with Bev. And she has such a passion for her recovery and the story that she has to tell. It's absolutely sensational that we actually didn't record an introduction. So my little introduction here is to say, this is Bev. Her story's amazing. You're going to love it. And let's get straight into it. Hello. G'day, Bev. Hello. How are you? I'm really overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed. I'm excited. Oh, fantastic. That's what we like. Energy is good, isn't it? Some good and high energy is great. Clint, fabulous to meet you. You too. You too. Now, which country are you in? Again, sorry? Which country are you in at the moment? I'm in South Korea. Um, I dropped something. I'm just making a hot drink. I've got a bad chest on me at the moment. Mm -hmm. I'm actually British, but I'm working in South Korea. Wow. Um, I'm speaking English. Right. Um, when I was poorly, I was back in the UK. Mm -hmm. And just before being diagnosed with RA, I was working towards coming out into Asia to teach. And then RA hit me and then everything went to pot. Right, um, right. And I let go of those plans because I stayed focused on healing. Yes. So, yeah, I'm currently in South Korea. I've been here a year. I was previously in Thailand for a year and a half. So I've been kind of on the mend, like okay and well for um, – I've just hit my two-year anniversary since leaving the UK. But, I mean, by the time I left the UK, I was shifting fridges into my car when I was, like, you know, selling everything. I was full power. Fantastic. From from being crippled and housebound and fingers gnarled and curled over. At worst, it hurt when I was breathing. There was two days I couldn't get to the bathroom when I woke up in the mornings. I, I tried to crawl and that was painful. And then I hoist myself up. Days like that were spent in bed, always covered in inflammation. I knew straight away there was a link with food. So I started really monitoring what I was eating. And I learned very quickly that gluten, bam, would make me go. I learned about the nightshade. I could see how inflammatory they were on my system. Um, and I gave up a lot of foods, but nowhere to the extreme was what I did when I found the Patterson program. That really taught me what I had to do. And I made amazing, amazing like improvement very quickly but I think it took me about six months to drop the oil. Mm, yeah. Um, because I think when I dropped the oil, I, I was just flew. You know, that's when my body was just at its best. Yeah, I had the same experience. I was my, my wife used to put uh, olive oil on my salads every night to make them more palatable because yeah. she knew that I responded so well to salads and she wanted me to have as much as possible. And she thought that the uh, the olive oil would enable me to eat more and more salad because it made it nicer. And 
first of all, I never really digested the oil very well. I always found that it sort of sat in my stomach and I would get kind of indigestive kind of burps or like sort of stomach yeah. kind of rolling feeling. And the same I used to get from fish oils as well. I was taking them unbeknownst uh, as to, you know, the way that I think now. And anyway, when I uh, one day just said to Melissa, look, I, I just have to stop putting this oil on. I just feel it's got something to do with the oil. And I think maybe one night I made my own salad and I didn't put it on. I felt better. And it was, a, it was one of the big milestone moments is when I stopped putting oils on. Um, did you find just olive oil or other oils as well? I dropped all oil. I mean, I got to the point where I was living on green juices and I'd have probably, I don't know, maybe up to a litre and a half a day of green juice that had fresh turmeric in there as well and ginger. Maybe I put barley grass powder and there was celery and cucumber and spinach. So I'd have like two of those a day, definitely, sometimes up to four. So my daily diet in the end consisted of green juice sweet potato, which I used to steam and then put on a griddle with no oil, but just to crisp them up a bit. Yeah. And I'd have that with some salad or kimchi, which I picked up a recipe offline you did with one of your 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 clients. And maybe sometimes steamed veg if the weather was cold. So, I mean, I was quite content with that diet. And I just made, in the end, amazing recovery. For me, it was about finding foods that comforted me. So, yeah, I made amazing recovery. But with me, I was never able to stay on the diet 100%. There was always these pitfalls. I do well for a while, I have a relapse. I do well for a while, I have a relapse. I spent a couple of months on the forum. I couldn't afford any more than a couple of months. I was in quite a dire situation at the time. So, yeah, I think from from the point of when the inflammation started with me, it took three months to be diagnosed with RA. And then I was given the meds, which I didn't want to take. So I didn't take them. And I carried on. I, I spoke to my doctor and said, look, I've written to the rheumatologist and said to them, take me off your records. I never want to hear from you again. I don't believe in how you treat people. I don't like your ethos. This is not how I want to heal. I believe I can do this in a different way. Don't even write to me to tell me that you have taken me off your records. I don't want to hear from you. Now, and is this I um, the NHS? Yes. I'm speaking out of my knowledge zone. I just hear of the NHS being mentioned in our in our forum, as you talked about, in our support groups. And, um, and yeah, um, look, I have no personal experience with it, but there seems to be some complaints about the system. Well, the complaint for me, I think, would be a complaint that I would find anywhere in that their ethos is there's no cure to this um, and you just have to take these cancerous drugs for the rest of your life. And that, for me, doesn't work. You know, I when my doctor couldn't diagnose what was wrong with me, my GP, he sent me to the specialist centre and I could see what was coming up now, where they were sort of veering towards. I would cancel appointments here and there because I was stalling and researching, trying to find a holistic way out of this. And then finally the day came and um, I went to the centre and they gave me the drugs. I cried all the way home. I had to pull over in the car. I was distressed. I couldn't see the road. It was unsafe. I pulled over, calmed myself down cried for a while and then I got home 
And I contacted a woman that I knew who was a GP of 30 years, an acupuncturist of 20 years also. And, um, and I knew her from a personal setting in a loose kind of way. So I emailed her and said, Carolyn, I've been diagnosed with RA and today they're prescribing methotrexate and I don't want to take these drugs. I'm distressed to say the least having to take these drugs. Um, I'm having acupuncture. I couldn't get in with her. She was fully booked for months ahead. So I had to go elsewhere. I said, I'm having acupuncture. Will it heal me? And she emailed me back immediately and said, Bev, it'd be unethical for me to tell you that acupuncture will heal you. But what it will do is remind your body of where its natural balance is for the period of time that you're having the treatment. She said, what I will say to you is, be mindful of who you surround yourself with. Because mm. I have seen incredible things being achieved mm. by people who have had the right mindset. Glenn, mm-hmm. I picked up those drugs. I got back into my car. <laughs> I went to my local chemist who takes drugs and sends them to Africa, donates them to Africa. I donated them and I came back. Wow. I wrote that very fierce letter to my rheumatologist saying, I never want to hear from you again. Don't even contact me to tell me you've taken me off your records. Don't want to know. Wow. And then I contacted my doctor and said, this is what I've done. Don't want the rheumatologist. I'm going to do this my way. I'm going to research and find out how to put it right. He said, Bev, you won't. I said, Dr. Saund, I will. He said, you won't, Bev. I said, Dr. Saund, I've done this to myself. He said, no, Bev, it's caused from the environment and your genes. I said, no, Dr. Saund, when we don't just become ill from the environment like that. I've done this to me and I'm going to put it right. And we argued back and forth and I wouldn't let him have the last word. I left his surgery metaphorically skipping because I was determined to find my way out of this. And I was not at all disturbed by his narrow view Mm. because He's a GP, mm-hmm. drugs, ailment, sure. done, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, at that point, it took me three months to find the Paddison program because I was looking on the internet, not on YouTube. And I was doing up to six hours of research a day, mm-hmm. reading about reading about this, reading about that. Honestly, I was hitting the same information in the end. So what was six hours in uh, research was now down to hour, two hours a day. Yeah, yep. One day I was found something new. I found a blog, and I don't know who the blog was by. A year on, I tried to go back into yeah. my history, find it, and say thank you to this person. But as I was reading through this blog, she's talking about leaky gut, this, that, and the other. And then she mentioned the Paddison program. Well, I was like, wow, don't know what that is. This is new. And I was literally reading everything I could find. She put a link up, and it took me to your TEDx talk. I was currently a hundred odd miles from home. I was visiting a friend and staying over for a few days. And he came back from work and I said, Kevin, I'm going home in the morning a day early because I found something that I think can help me. My credit card's at home and need to purchase this book. And honestly, now my hands were like this, swollen, like ugly English pork sausages, swollen and and gnarled over. And I was, I'd started another degree course at university in September. So I was diagnosed in April with RA. The degree course was coming up. I thought, how am I going to do this? 
I can't even look after me. But I'd committed to it a few months back, so I started the degree course. I could still research and type because my hands were bent over this way. So um, I said to Kevin, right, I'm going home a day early. Um, I went home, and but I, it took a while for the book to come through. And but in the three, in what I'd done whilst at Kevin's, I looked at loads of YouTube stuff and looked at some of your demos and I knew I had to be vegan gluten free now so I immediately went gluten free vegan Clint within three days my hands opened up three days they hadn't been open I feel like crying they hadn't been open for six months they were gnarled over and it used to distress me because it was my hands it's like it distressed me more than my shoulders or my knees Although they caused me less problem, it was my hand, you know. And after three days, they opened out. I felt after day one, the tendons letting go. They were bent over, but they wasn't pulling. Day two, they were half open. Day three, they were open, Clint. And I thought, I'm onto something here. I'm onto something here. And my journey began from there. And That's- I used to days that were really hard and I'd open up an email there'd be a podcast that you send and it picked me back up and I mean literally I fought RA in the confines of my own home alone no rheumatologist a doctor who wouldn't support me armed with that Pattison program and I did it I feel like crying it's so emotional you know it was such a tough journey but I did it I did it alone with the Paddison program, you know, and I took two naproxen a day, which wasn't holding down the inflammation at first. I was crawling. There were days, lots of days when I'd be on the sofa with my arms propped up with cushions, feet up, just looking at the laptop because I couldn't walk. I had inflammation in my sort of hip joints, my knees, my feet were swollen. Um, the days when my shoulders used to go, I couldn't even do creative things with my hands. I couldn't crochet or it was just too much to move the shoulders. Um, so I'd just watch movies and, and research. But most days, I think my shoulders were fine. I'd have on average about two days in a week where I'd be on crutches because it all got a bit much. And then I'd use the crutches and my elbow would hurt because I'd be putting pressure on my elbow to use yeah. the crutches. Yeah. Wow. And thank you for giving me back life as I know it, because it would have been awful for me. I don't have a family, which I don't want going in. Is this the real podcast? Sure, we're rolling. Oh, no! There's nothing you've said that you wouldn't want to have shared. So, you know, I didn't have any family around me. Yeah. And I didn't have a friend who walked through my door for six months because they were all so far away from me. Yeah. And, yeah, it was a tough time. And if I hadn't... I just think I'd be in a horrible space right now. I'd be in a horrible, horrible space right now. I just, you know, because those drugs make you worse. And they don't tell you that, the rheumatologists. They don't tell you that, you know, they start, they wanted to start me off on 20 milligrams. They didn't tell me that, oh, six months down the line, you're going to be on, you know, prednisone or, um, you know, uh, a steroid or what have you. They don't tell you these things. But they're happy to tell you that there's no connection to food mm-hmm. because I went to the rheumatologist and her assistant, and I said, "Is there any link to food with this with this ailment?" And um, I remember the assistants being very dismissive and saying, "No, you know, 
people say there is, but there isn't. Now, I was riddled in inflammation and pain. I couldn't challenge you at the time. But I remember thinking, but I'm experiencing a connection with food. I'm seeing as my diet changes, my inflammation going up and down. I see that screams at my body. I see that dairy screams at my body. The night like uh, annihilating me like but I was too ill to challenge her thought I just thought I'll, I'll do what I need to do yeah wow and really like I think a year after finding the Paddison program I'd completed the degree and I was I'd got myself a job in Thailand I started to dismantle my home and I literally shifted my fridge from out of my apartment through the courtyard lifted it into my car <laughs> tip and I'm getting it out at the tip and this man pulled up in the car and says do you need help I thought well not really but thank you yeah go ahead but you know from the days when I couldn't lift up an empty you know those plastic inners to the bins yeah I couldn't lift an empty one of those Mm. and actually it wasn't the weight of the bin I just couldn't lift my arm up yeah you know um and now I'm lifting a fridge (laughs) (laughs) it's it's tremendous now what happened with the drugs um in our email correspondence before we uh set this up uh you said you've been three years since you've been off the drugs talk about what you ended up taking if any and those painkillers as well naproxen only naproxen Mm -hmm. so in the early days when my doctor was trying to help me uh, the maximum highest in dose of inflammatory drugs he could give me was naproxen, right. which wasn't holding down the inflammation. Then the rheumatologist wanted to give me the... Methotrexate. Methotrexate, mm-hmm. which I refused and got written off their record. Went back to my doctor, can you carry on just prescribing these to me? So I was taking two of those a day. That was my maximum dose. And God, did I want to overdose. Yeah. I would have taken for but uh, I was afraid to because I'm not really a druggy kind of person so um, I've picked that up <laughs> so I took a day um I was becoming very reliant on them I remember sort of one day them running low and I couldn't get in to see the GP because it was fully booked or something and there was this sort of panic oh my god I'm running out of meds and then I remember when I got a stack of them and I put them in the cupboard and then I put them in the cupboard. I tapped them and there was this sense of comfort and reassurance. Yeah. I've got them. I'm all right now. Yeah, sure. Whoa. Alarm bells rang for me. I'm like, I don't like this. I don't like this being reliant on these drugs. So anyway, like I said, I was researching every day. Um, so I carried on two pills a day, literally like hanging on for my next pill. And then I found the Paddison program. And then I found, because I I went gluten-free vegan, but I was having these pitfalls now and then where I'd eat something I shouldn't eat. Mm. And in the early days, I can honestly say I remember being stood in my kitchen and I must have just eaten something because I clearly can still see myself there and saying, Bev, you can't seem to go two hours without putting something in your mouth that you shouldn't be eating. But I kept getting back on, getting back on. Mm. I never gave the day, okay, just do it from now, do it from now. And honestly, six months down the line, I could now go two weeks without not eating anything that I shouldn't. Right, right. Being 70 on, 
and 30 off the diet or 80 20 it slowly healed me mm. and where I was sort of high on inflammation and just a little bit of health in me it, it was shifting and it, it did this in the end you know um and I still falter on my diet which is why I wanted to get back onto the forum just to be around like-minded people so you can be influenced in the right way but I really don't have the reactions that I used to have. If I ate a slice of cheesecake years ago, that would be two weeks of pain for me. Yeah. You know, the appetizing food that people would be eating. And it's like I'd see the words pain shooting out of it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want that. I don't want to eat that. It's going to take me two minutes to eat. You have two weeks of pain. Like, no, I want it, yeah. you know. Yeah. And so, in the end, I, I slowly, slowly, slowly healed. And now when I eat something naughty, it's like I haven't eaten anything naughty. Mm. But I, I tried soy, soy like bean curd, um, a few weeks ago. That I hadn't done in like four years. Now, I knew back then that bean curd was something that was really slow to react with me, but very slow to undo as well. And I was eating it, um, did I say a couple of months back? It was a couple of weeks ago. So I'm eating this a couple of weeks ago. I'm thinking, mm, this could be bad timing. You're going to be talking to Clint in two weeks. <laughs> this huge inflammation. And behold, I think it was last week, if not two weeks ago, like it took a week and uh, it, it took hold. I had this chunk of a pain in my knee. Yeah, right. And it hurt me through the night. I'm like, uh-oh. This better not take two weeks to go down. Yeah. And I've got meds in the fridge, but, I mean, I haven't had them for I don't know how long. I've lost count the amount of months. I'm like, no, not having them, not having them, just naproxen. So I put some anti-inflammatory gel on it, and within two days it went down. Right. So I know now I can't eat bean curd. I still struggle with nightshade. That's crippled my diet. Wow, yep. Prior to this ailment, my diet was – sort of sometimes vegan, sometimes flesh. But I see a huge amount of aubergines and peppers and, and chili. Mm -hmm. When I had to give those up, my diet was crippled, crippled. I found it really, really hard to find, like, emotional contentment in food. And then, of course, I had to sort of eat everything really plain. I couldn't even eat fruit. Right. The sugar sent me through. I could manage half an apple in the green juice to take away that greenness. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so you went you went hardcore through the process. You started out with the baseline, but you had a little bit of apple. Uh, sorry, you started out with the two-day cleanse with just a little bit of apple, and then you did all of the, 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 day, the baseline foods all the way through, um, and you found that you couldn't even reintroduce fruits. And then occasionally you would cheat, and then you'd get back on it, and then you'd cheat here and there and get back on it. But then after a period of time, you're able to get rid of all your inflammation. And now you're in a situation where you're still cheating here and there, but the consequences aren't quite as, as catastrophic. Or, but we're aware that if you do the wrong thing, then still the alarm bells go off. And the alarm bells being the inflammation in the body has showed up in your knee when you went and ate some, um, some soy. Well, there's an incredible story. What do you think are um, some of your personal lessons that, that you may feel have not been shared on other podcast episodes or, or that you think were a little unique to you, things that you would say, hey, here's a tip that I really, uh, this is what you need to emphasize or, or make sure you pay attention to this. For me, it would be 
yes, the diet is what heals because it, it takes you towards the foods that heal the gut lining and it takes away the foods that are harming the gut lining. So you've got this two-way thing going on. But it's the mindset that precedes the diet. And if you haven't got the mindset, you're going to falter on the diet because I'd say a lot of us, Uh, maybe Danny, who was vegan, you know, the the other member of yours, he was a vegan before RA came along. Most of us are on the Western diet. And suddenly you give up these foods that are satiated in in the fats and the sugars. And I started researching, why, why can I not stop eating these foods? I know they harm me. Why can I not stop? So I started looking into food addictions. And I learned about being hardwired to salt, fat, and sugar. We are hardwired for our survival as a species. So when we've now adapted the Western diet that is drenched in fats and sugars and this and that, when we eat them, the brain cells are going, yay, we're surviving, we've got what we need. And then when the emotional connection is made to that food, you crave them. So then I started learning about food addictions and why I'm now really craving these foods when I shouldn't eat them because they're harmful to me. So for me, it was about understanding why I'm addicted to these foods, why I can't get off them. And then also setting my mindset to being strong so I could keep those those mitts on and keep fighting. So I'd listen to people like um, I'd listen to the podcasts you send. I've listened to your podcast like with members and with other doctors who, I mean, the ones with the doctors, I listen to over and over and over again because they're loaded with information. You can listen to them 10 times and still pick up on something new, you know, as there's so much to learn from them. And also I'd listen to someone called Bentinho Massaro, who was, uh, he's a spiritual person who talks about manifesting what you want. And one thing I remember, because we're going back four years now, but he had this two-hour lecture, um, how to create perfect health, I think. And one of the things that I remember strongly he said is if your whole body is riddled in pain and if you only have health in one little finger now, you concentrate on that. Don't think about the pain I've got pain. Think about health. Think about health and just Draw it to yourself. So for me, it was the mindset preceding the diet. That was my challenge. Because, hey, if the Patterson program came in a pill, who wouldn't take it? You know? And at the end of the day, I had to keep saying to myself, you spent years making yourself ill. You're not going to switch this overnight. It's going to be a slow process. You know? Um, so for me, it was the mindset, the mindset that had to proceed the diet. I had to get that right. I had to keep myself motivated. Mm. I was very particular about who I kept around me Good. because I, I was vulnerable, but I would be maybe susceptible to people's negative thought about you're going to be like this all the time or around people who are ill and holding on to their ailment. There are people who hold on to it. It's like they identify with it. And I don't want that energy around me. You know, so um, I lived alone. My house was like the Paddison program environment. You know, every time I found out there was something I couldn't eat, it was like, right, I went through the freezer, the yeah. fridge, the cupboards, fill up the bags, knock on my neighbor's door, Rob, I can't eat these. There you go. And he was grateful for them, you know, um, and just got everything out of my house. 
And sometimes I'd be driving home from somewhere and I'd be being pulled towards, oh, go and get this, go and get that. No, no, just go home, go home. Mm. It's safe at home, safe at home. And I'd get home, shut the door, right, I'm safe, I'm safe. No bad foods in the house, you know. So, yeah, I mean, seriously, it, it works, it works. The yeah. Patterson program works. People will have different, different difficulties depending on how far they are into the RA, um, what drugs they're on, and all these things, mm-hmm. you know, change the, the dynamics for, for people. Um, yeah. But, you know, I, I was three months diagnosed with RA, no, six months by the time I found the Paddison program. At worst, I wanted to just, before I found you, I wanted to just fast, stop eating. Yeah. But I didn't want to do that at home because I thought I haven't got anyone coming in and yes. checking on. Equally, there are some friends I could have stayed with in Wales, which is a few hundred miles from me. I could have stayed with them, but then you'd be around there cooking and that wouldn't have worked. You know, I needed like the setting that was supportive of what I was doing, but equally looking after me. Mm. You know, it wasn't that place. Yeah, great. Yeah. So the three things that I picked up then that you said were were crucial in your particular circumstance was, um, first of all, the mindset getting that absolutely dialed in before you begin, understanding that it's focusing on healing, not focusing on the pain, which is so, I mean, it's easier to say than what it is to do when the pain's screaming. But yes, um, I used to have a mantra, pain-free, drug-free, back to massive energy. And I'd say it all the time, all the time, picturing myself, picturing myself moving my body freely and fluidly and um, having energy and, uh, and, and just, I, I guess, uh, living a, a normal life. And um, you also mentioned uh, clearing out the cupboard, having everything around you, your whole house being free from temptation and distractions and surrounding yourself with people who are supportive. The the last one is just so important. When I give uh, keynote presentations uh, to companies, I include mindset as one of the main kind of focuses of the talk because whilst my story is interesting to listen to, and the images are graphic and you see me struggling and, and crippled and then you see me being able to run and then the family and the three kids and stuff, it all, it's a nice story. But no one in corporate settings really cares about rheumatoid arthritis and they don't know too much about it. So when I start talking about gut health, in fact, you can see people crossing their arms when they hear about having to eat lots of greens and stuff. They don't want to be lectured to. They just want to be inspired and, and learn a few things. So I spend more time talking about mindset and um, I tell the story of when I was um, presenting a conference for a large organization and I introduced this neuroscientist who steps up on stage and his whole talk for his, he did a two hour presentation on achievement and hitting goals, basically how to achieve everything uh, in life regardless of where you're at and what success looks like and how it comes about. And the most successful people, the most insanely successful people on earth, the number one influencing factor to their success is not where they grew up and not the finances. It's not how many friends they had or how intelligent they are. It's the support they had around them. And I just found that absolutely unbelievably crucial to everything in life. And so if you've got people around you who can support you and, and importantly, believe in the same outcome that you do, then it is like an order of magnitude more likely that you will 
uh, get what you're after? No, I didn't have a huge amount of that. Um, I had my own inner belief, and I had that through the Patterson program. I had the belief there. And I had one friend who lived about 100 miles away who believed I would heal. But, like, my really close friends who lived in Wales, I don't think they believed I could heal myself through diet. You know, I had friends who I could pick up the phone to and, and talk with, but a lot of it came from just self-driven. Well, that's it. that's amazing, and it's a credit. And in, in one way... You know, if we just be totally honest here and say, like, if if in myself included, I just spoke of my family and friends, deep down, aside from what they would say out loud, I mean, privately and, and talking to their husbands and wives without me around, they probably also didn't think that this is going to be doable and so forth. So, and I know that um, my sister once said to my dad, my dad's since told me, my sister said, you know that Clint could end up in a wheelchair. And they had that conversation. And I didn't know. And years later, my dad said, you know, Colette said that, you know, you could end up in a wheelchair and it was a bad moment for our family, you know. And um, that's when I was, I was in a terrible way. And so at that point, it looked like that's where I was heading and in a fairly short amount of time. Uh, so, um, you know, uh, even closest family members, uh, may deep down think, well, that's that's probably a statistical likelihood or it's what it looks like it's going to happen uh, from what we can see. And so if you are actually got this incredible self-belief and you're not around other people, you know, in a way your own little light, that little light inside you wasn't being shadowed by other people's, no. yeah. They were supportive of what I was doing. They wouldn't. Um dismiss but I knew that they didn't believe it the way I did yeah. I mean yeah. I kept saying that Hippocrates thing you know let food be your medicine and medicine yeah. be your food and yeah. before I found you I kept saying I know I can do this with food I know I can I just need to find the way just mm. need to find the way you know mm. I really believed I could heal myself do you, um, ultimately I knew I'd done it to myself mm. do you so, consider this the greatest achievement of your life God, yes. <laughs> yes. People have told me for years, you're strong. And I'm like, no, I'm not. My God, when I beat RA, I look back and said, Bev, you're a strong person and you do have to be strong. You can't go in with half measures. You need to get your mitts on and you need to say, come on, you know, you need to fight it full on, not sideways, not with your mitts off, not like one day in, one day out, you go in and it's a beast and you need to hold yourself up to that beast and you need to go for it. And yes, yes, it's the greatest achievement. And I doubt I will ever achieve anything as amazing as that. I agree. I mean, it's defying the odds and it's defying medical science and it's defying belief. We just talked about everyone's common belief about this. And at the same time, what I can tell is that you also have this humility around it as well. And and you know we both know that this is this is like having a uh, a, a ferocious um, wild animal as a pet, yeah. So you can tame it. You can yeah. you, you can you can in some cases like the, our examples, you can keep the pet at home without sedating it crazily with drugs. But let's not forget that this is a wild animal, and its natural natural instincts are to attack. 
And so uh, we have to be cautious and we have to be respectful and extremely conscious of our behaviors or this wild animal. It's going to suddenly remember what it's all about and it's going to attack again. Yeah. I started taking out here, um, I mean, I go to the market here, everything's written in Korean, people don't speak English and I don't understand what's around me when it comes to, like their health food shops here, they look like a jungle that's been shredded and dismantled. Yeah. They look like- <laughs> I think on a smaller scale, on a smaller scale, if I go and visit, like I do, the traditional Indian and sometimes Korean, actually, you know, um, uh, stores around here that sell the real kimchi and the and uh, you know all that sort of stuff. I mean, it, it does look like it does look like a um, a store where someone has just ordered a thousand boxes from a thousand different locations and thrown them into a warehouse and not really opened them properly or labelled them. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you've got thorns and stems and barks and leaves and pumpkins. It's like yeah. I don't know what these things are. But on a stall, I saw two things once, and it had the Latin names for them. And one of them was Boswellia serrata. Didn't know what that was. Came home, looked it up, and it's frankincense. Um, I started looking up what's the healing properties of this, and it's high up there with curcumin. Have you frozen again? No, you haven't. So it's high up there with curcumin. So um, I did just a little bit of research on it, and it spoke about, you know, take it for a period of time, it will start working. Research has shown that with some people, when they stop um, using it for up to three months, it's still working in your system. Oh, yeah, yeah. I started taking that, and then I noticed how when I was having tidbits of food and maybe accumulatively, I was reacting far less Mm. so then i got worried about that and i thought well if the boswellia is holding back the inflammation and i think i haven't looked into it enough but i think it stops the secretion of this certain something that promotes inflammation and i don't know what that is and i think that's how it works but i got worried and thought if i'm eating foods that are harming my intestinal system But if the Boswellia is stopping the inflammation that's telling me I shouldn't be eating this, then I'm not doing myself any favours here. So I stopped taking the Boswellia because I want to see a true and raw reaction to what I'm eating. Do you like this body or don't you? Let's not mask it with Boswellia because I don't want to damage that intestinal wall. So I, I want a true reaction of what's going on. So I've stopped taking it. And I think it's been something like two months. A couple of comments like- around that. Very insightful. And I love the way, well, at least I like it because I think the same way myself. Um, yeah. If we if we talk about something like curcumin, people ask me, should I take curcumin? Because I'm really wanting to minimize my pain. And so a couple of things around that, and I'll tie this back in with what you've just spoken about. It's about consistency. If you're going to take a supplement each day that offers a pain relief aspect, then you don't want to take it some days and then not some other days because that influences how you're um, interpreting your results with your food reintroductions. So if your third, fourth day you, you, you don't take the curcumin and then you think, oh, I don't quite feel as good, you think, oh, it might have been the something I had for dinner last night or it might have been that I added tomatoes yesterday or whatever. So 
One thing's regarding consistency. Um, also, I, I like I like a really simple, ultra simple healing plan, and a healing plan involving the exercise, uh, the supplements, uh, medications, whatever. We want the simplest plan that we can possibly put together, and you know, a simple plan would have the fewest amount of additional extracurricular things other than the food and the exercise, right? So. And then the final thing, you mentioned the Boswellia, it was coincidentally, it was the very first supplement that I was recommended by the first naturopath that I went to see many, many years ago. So we're talking now 10 years ago, 10 and a half years ago. And I then went to another naturopath. I saw many. Uh, and the naturopath, and I showed the naturopath what the first one recommended. And the second naturopath was very old school. And, and uh, the second naturopath said, oh, you've just been given all the trendy, most latest recent things. That naturopath's obviously young and she just wants to go with all the latest cool things. What you really need is this. And we went down a totally different path. I mean, yeah, you get so many different opinions. And um, uh, anyway, I took that Boswellia also for, for a period of time, overlapping or at the same time of many, many other supplements. And so I have no idea whether or not it helped me or not. But, um, but I think that if you haven't noticed anything after a couple of months, it, then it probably wasn't playing a major role. And let's, let's to take it to the extreme, would it really prevent you from feeling inflammation if you went and spent the whole day eating tofu? No, it would not, right? So, so no. yeah, at best, and, and if, <laughs> if we were a radio show and someone just dialed in and they heard me say that, they'd be like, what? Tofu is like the worst thing you could possibly eat. Um, no, it's just it's just that you you imagine you reacted so badly to it earlier. Well, you've got a remarkable story, Beverly. What's next for you? Tell us uh, what's the future look like. Obviously, we're going to spend a lot of time together over the next year. We're about to uh, uh, connect again on online in Patterson Program Support, where we can work together but you'll also be uh, helping many other people uh in a in a in a reverse sense as well so i'm sure they'll be excited when they watch this to know that you're going to be joining the team but what else besides that i mean is there other passions and dreams and 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 um exciting things oh prior to going on the patterson program you know i had this goal of going out into asia to to teach and um and then when I found the Patterson program, it's like I couldn't see beyond the ailment. But yeah, I believed I would um I believed I would heal, but I couldn't see beyond the ailment. And that was because really I couldn't give any energy to anything else other than put it into the Patterson program and, and heal myself with it. So I've healed and I'm kind of on to that next stage. And I suppose future plans. Now I'm here and I'm working and I'm traveling. My future plans, hopefully in the next 10 years, is just to have my own land somewhere where I can sort of grow my own veggies again and my fruit trees and my nut trees, which was the lifestyle that I had before leaving England. So, yeah, I want my own land, maybe somewhere in Europe, if hopefully we're back in with the EU again. But, yeah, they're the long-term future goals. For now, it's just traveling and teaching and and being and and being free and free-spirited and able and just having me back, you know, it's great, you know. Two years ago or three years ago, if you said, what are your plans? The plans were, okay, you know, let's do the degree, let's heal, let's let's get on and, 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 um, and travel and teach. 
So I'm kind of pretty steady now doing what I'm doing. But the long-term goals are to have some land somewhere mm. where I because I love the outdoors. I'm an outdoor person. I love growing my own veggies, mm. you know, outdoor fires. I love that sort of thing. Awesome. Buy yourself buy yourself a little packet of seeds um, of the couple of different types of vegetables that you intend to put into that backyard. They'll keep and let them just sit there on your table every day and you'll look at them and you're like, "That's they're going into my backyard and that helps to start to – pull the future into the present and make it happen quicker. Um, you might also want to, uh, you know, think of some other creative ways to buy some little knickknacks that will go into that garden, maybe a little gnome, buy yourself a little garden gnome to go into that garden and then you've got it ready to go. And, and these little fun uh, manipulative tools are very powerful, very powerful. You visualize that little backyard. Exactly. That, that, no, I shouldn't say backyard. You might want a one-acre plot. What are you planning on? Oh, it's a one-acre plot. Is it? <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> I've had this foot of land. I want a one-acre plot. <laughs> yeah. That's better. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. Well, I'm sure with the way that you've been able to achieve this, we, we talked about the greatest achievement. Um, I think it will be well within your uh, – well within your um, short-term future to be able to, to manifest that as well. So let's wrap this up with a big thank you for coming on and uh, telling your story. It's been wonderful to meet you face-to-face. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. You've been listening to The Patterson Program. For more information, visit pattersonprogram.com.